Hello and welcome to another podcast with me, Andrew Gray. I'm delighted I got yet another HR consultant with me. I'm tripping over myself these days with HR consultants. I'm delighted that this afternoon I have Ashley Healy from HealyResourcing.co.uk. How are you doing, Ashley? I'm very well, thank you, Andrew. On this fine Monday morning. Fine Monday morning, indeed. Let us get straight into it. Tell us all about who you are, what you do, and you know if you're any good. Why are you any good? <laughs> I'm brilliant. Um, who I am? I'm Ashley Healy. I work for, um, for, for myself. My, my business is called Healy Resourcing. Um, I provide people management advice to employers and sometimes uh, employees. In terms of background, um, I've been doing this about three years. I've been... Um, been over well, you've been in the industry for donkeys, I think. When I got my 30-year CIPD certificate i didn't know whether to laugh or cry <laughs> it was it was one of those i have really been doing this for 30 years but cipd is at the chartered institute, chartered institute of personnel development it's our professional um, body that uh, that that uh, we're members of and and obviously they have different levels so it, you, you have a you can signify what level of competence or what level you've operated at in terms of hr and i'm i'm because I'm, I'm old, I'm a fellow, so it means I've uh, I've been around a bit and and uh, you know, been involved in one or two interesting things. I bet you have. I've been looking at your CV. It seems like you've worked for some major corporations in a very senior role. Tell us about those corporations as much as you can tell us. Yeah, I mean it. It's again quite quite varied. I suppose in terms of career highlights, Motorola down in uh, down in Swindon was certainly one big American company. At that point, really at the forefront of a lot of HR type uh, initiatives in terms of uh, how people are managed, but also pioneers in Six Sigma uh, quality control, and 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 it was the first time I'd, I'd had that experience of that kind of culture of a culture where you set targets, you're given KPIs, you're expected to meet them, but there was there was a very cooperative management culture and teamwork was was high on the agenda and it was a really really good place to work sounds it and how many people were you overseeing oh wait my role there was was in the engineering department they were basically developing base stations for um for mobile networks and it was cutting edge technology and there was a department of about 300 engineers and we were looking to recruit highly sought after very technical software engineers firmware RF engineers very very quickly in, into this department the site as a whole employed uh, over over 1500 people at that point and I say I was looking after the engineering department and also the research which had some very 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 clever people in I bet you did probably <laughs> some quite tricky people to manage I very very well. tricky people to manage yes so other than Motorola there's some other big names on yes. your CV talk uh, to me about them um, at SciTech which was a global uh, American chemical company based in Bradford originally what was I was involved uh, at the uh, site in Bradford that Employed around about 150 people, but within within the company as a whole was around about 5,000. And at Bradford, was involved in a big change program and introducing annualised hours and various other changes to terms and conditions with the trade union involved, which was uh, again quite an interesting time. And later on, I had a more European role, so I was looking after probably around about 2,000 people within uh, within Europe, including line management for the branch officers because basically nobody else wanted to do it I was line managing um, the officers in uh, in Milan and Madrid and Paris and Dusseldorf and very nice it was too 
Hopefully you got to go on many a foreign trip. Many a foreign trip, which is why I look like I do, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. So it's three years ago you set up Healy Resourcing. Yeah. And as I said at the start, you were HR, so human resources. Yes. Explain to me quite what, what you do, what's the sort of typical client that you would have and how would you help? Typical client now would be um, smaller business who often are not of a size where they can afford H, specific HR support within, within their business. So it's really advising them on anything to do with, with staff. So it's basically people management. So that could, that's not just dealing with those difficult situations which crop up from time to time but looking at policy development what's best for them but also training and recruitment and the best way of doing that within their particular business so you, you have an accountant that might look after your finances and give advice on on and a good account and a good accountant will provide good financial advice not just do the numbers and same with the hr person you know people are, 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 are probably the most important asset in any business um, so look after your cash and look after your people and you'll have a successful business. I couldn't agree more. On your blog, which has some absolutely fantastic titles and great articles in there, one of them is about making employees happy. Mm. Could you explain why you think that's so important? Expanding on what you've just said, please. It's, it's really important. I mean, the, the, the first reaction many business owners and, and not just business owners in, in large companies do is, is throw money at it. So if people... You throw money at a problem and then people will be happy. How many times has have in, in a business where somebody's handed in the notice and a company's made a counter offer or we'll, we'll, we'll give you another two grand a year and they said, okay, I'll stay only in three or four months' time to then leave again because it's not the money that's driving them to leave, it's other things. So to make people happy, is, is, you know, money's important, but it's not the be-all and end-all. For me, one of the most important things is, is set out those expectations. What do you, what do you want your staff to do? Um, I just remember a conversation I had with a vet who had a, an issue with his, um, his practice manager and the you know, conversation went on and basically he said she wasn't doing what he wanted her to do and basically said, well, have you told her? And he said, no. So he came back about a week later and he says brilliant he went through a job description told her what the expectations were and she's really happy surprisingly um, she was she was uh, she was just you know, firing away in the dark so laying those expectations out so what you, what do you expect your, your staff to do when do you expect them to come in can they come in early and leave early or can, even even the little things and the other thing is is keep those communication channels open uh, uh, particularly in smaller businesses, a business owner is really passionate about and really cares about his business. And employees may not share the same level of enthusiasm. So you've got to get that enthusiasm over to, to your staff and get them to buy into your vision and to your dream and, and keep those communication channels over. You talk to them. Um, and if you do that on a regular basis and in a proper way, you'll pick up problems early, you'll pick up situations early, and you'll find out a lot more about your staff and what, the, what makes them tick. Once you find out what makes them tick, you can keep them happy. That's utterly refreshing. Great that you said it. My experience, it sounds like it's yours as well, is that when you have happy staff, of course they don't want to leave. Mm. And when staff do leave, it leaves a chasm. Mm. Uh, the cost of recruitment is so high, the cost of them leaving is so high, you should do mostly what you can within your reason, I think, to ensure that they stay. Yeah. Um, in terms of cost. But the recruitment process is important, utterly essential. I see on your website that you specialise in psychometric testing and the recruitment process. Just explain to me 
uh, and to any of our listeners who may be from an employer perspective, uh, why they should engage you or until, or any psychometric testing in the recruitment process? Yeah. Any recruitment process is about gathering information. You want information about your prospective member of staff and how they behave and operate at work is a key element of, of, of how they're going to perform at work and also looking at what their basic ability is. So, you know, what's the size of the engine in, 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 in a car term? So, so there, there are two tests that, that we can run. One is ability, which is so you run on, on numbers on verbal, on, how, on words and how, how they deal with words and also on, on uh, logical reasoning. And from that, you'll, you'll, you, can, you can ascertain how, how big that engine is. Um, and it's an element that is very stable. So, you know, that very rarely changes over time. So, you, you know, you know what, what, you, what you're dealing with. You know, what's the trainability? What, are they, are they, have they got the, the right numbers or verbal skills for that particular job? And then you go on to the behavioural characteristics. So, if, particularly if you're looking at leadership management positions, what kind of what kind of behaviours are you wanting to recruit into your particular business? And a, and, a, and a psychometric test managed well with the right feedback can give you that information. Then you can build it onto what experience they've got, build it into competency-based uh, questionnaires and interviewing, and to get that f- fuller picture that you that you need from employees, and rather than just an interview which is all right but you know if you look at much of the research you know it's flawed so the more information you get the better decision you're going to get and psychometrics are really really good at that. Following on from that with a psychometric test can you really pull out someone's values because my experiences as an employer and someone practicing employment law is when the values between the employer and the employee clash there's going to be friction when they are aligned, the employee will be there for inevitably for a long period of time. How can a psychometric test, if it can, pull out the values of the employee? It can. Employee? It can pull out. It depends on on which instrument that you use. I'm I'm licensed to use Talent Q, so they they Talent Q Talent Q. Sorry. Um, so they have dimensions, which is looks at personality. So you can pull elements of behaviour in that but they also have another instrument which really looks at motivations and from that you can really pick out values so it looks at what the hotspots are in terms of what 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 really motivates them and then you can really pick out the values in uh, uh, from from that instrument and and also that really helps you again know which which buttons to press in order to you know keep them motivated and and, and fully active within the business and obviously you can line whether that aligns up with with what your values are uh, and the way you manage your business. So, so y- yes, you can. But also, there's, there's good interview techniques will do that as well. Great. Do you, mean, do you have any top tips for employers listening to this show as to how to manage the either recruitment process or uh, the ongoing relationship? The, I suppose the, the best tip, and, and it's the one that should be the easiest, but it's the one that's left out, is really just talking to your, your staff. Just that open communication particularly a lot of bigger businesses that are very structured will have their annual appraisal and that's sometimes the only time where a manager or will actually talk to the staff or they might do a six month review you know you should be doing it on a on a on a much more regular basis doesn't have to be you know a set piece formal thing just open that communication find out about Again, we've said before what makes them what makes them tick 
and keep keep that open communication because if you've got that if there are people are going through a difficult time in in their lives which which does happen they're more likely to open up to you and if they do that you're more able to manage that particular situation there's been a lot in the in the press recently about mental health issues and, and well-being at work if you have that o- open um, uh, communication you're going to pick up those problems and you're able to deal with them in a in a more supportive manner than if it if it came as a surprise or people were hiding it and the issues were manifesting themselves in in other ways through behaviors or through poor work performance or whatever it might be it's all very great advice i suppose the difficulty i foresee is that some employers may be operating in a quite a traditional way yes and that the change the channels of communication aren't essentially open between employer and employee and that you're right you have that annual appraisal where it's a bit of a surprise to both parties as to what's going on any tips though for employers breaking the mold if they're in that traditional mindset of an annual appraisal how do they get how do they change their way so that they are if they can change their ways talking to their employees on a daily weekly basis do away with the annual appraisal is the easiest thing just okay. just bin it um and a lot of i've pretty much done that here actually and so a, you should say that a lot of businesses big ones are doing that because it, it's just not doing what it's supposed to do so bin it but obviously you, you you need an alternative in its place and it could be regular one-to-ones just just regular one-to-ones we're going to schedule them in it could be you know, Friday morning is our one-to-one day and it should be what's happening in your week because everybody's really busy, what's happened, what's gone well, what hasn't gone well and, and well, this is what we're going to be doing next week. So you can have very short-term conversations and how that fits into, in, into long-term goals. One of the things, certainly at, 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 when I was at SciTech, introduced in terms of that performance review programme is, you know, why are people why are people walking through the door every morning? What is their contribution to the bigger picture? So it's all right, you know, you've you've got your your, your engineer breathing away, but but how how is what what he or she's doing contributing to the site and in Cytex case, you know, a, a big glo- American global organisation? And you can break it down. So you know what I do here does have an effect. You know. On, on the performance of, of the business uh, uh, as a whole, and if they can see that, then again, it, it's it, it's that motivation. I'm actually making a difference. I'm I'm, um, I'm actually I'm actually contributing. I'm not just sat here doing you know doing my thing in in isolation. It's actually part of a bigger picture, and and the skill is is translating that bigger picture down into into the guy in the office or the lady in the office just. And, and what their contribution is, and you can do it, but it, you know, it's not easy. But you can do it. I haven't thought about this before, but it seems to me that part of your role is actually giving business advice because this is actually quite well. It's the most important thing that the businesses do. Yeah. And they're probably not getting it from their accountants, I'm guessing, or their bookkeepers. Essentially, it's you telling them some hard truths. Yes. Yeah, I can, it, I mean, you must make a massive difference to the bottom line it, in due course. You, you, you definitely. I mean, that, um, it might, again, it might seem a bit trite, but that's that's the whole aim. That's the whole, you know the the aim is 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 not not to be you know nice and cuddly. Is not to be is to improve that bottom line to make it a better business. So for the business owner to you know, to, to to make them 
a better business person and to make the business thrive. That, that, that's what you're trying to do at, uh, at the end of the day. And sometimes, you, 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 and it depends on your relationship with that business owner, you, you have to hold the mirror up sometimes. And, and you know, some of the, particularly in, in those smaller businesses, some of the issues might be the business owner that, yes. that has caused it. That can be difficult because you know, they're paying you wages. They might not you know, like what, you, what you're telling them. Um, so you've just got to tell them now. But you, if you've, you've got to establish a relationship so you're, you, you do have that ability to. You can be a bit of a coach as well. I can see that. Changing tax somewhat, in my experience of employment law, it seems to me that what trips up employers more than most things is disability discrimination. Mm. I think it's a fantastically complicated area of law, hugely important area of law providing a great deal of protection, but it's massively, in my view, misunderstood. Um, I know that you were involved in a hugely important case, mm. uh, Charlesworth versus Dranspiel Engineering, which began, I think, in 2016 in a tribunal, I was eventually went up after an appeal to the Employment Appeals Tribunal. As we found out actually about half an hour ago when we were preparing for this podcast, <laughs> the barrister who I interviewed for my very first podcast, Mr. McNerney, was actually representing, yeah. I think, Mr. Charlesworth. Charlesworth. Now, don't give us too much away about the case, yeah. but um, talk to us about disability discrimination and, if you can, a little bit about Charlesworth versus Dranspill Engineering. Uh, yes, I mean, this was interesting when I, I picked it up later on but it was basically Mr Charlesworth had, had 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 cancer and had the kidney removed and he was off work about six weeks and during that six weeks it was obvious to the business that they could operate quite happily with Mr Charlesworth not being there and had to save some money I understand and and had to save save some money now had the decision been taken because the business realised that for the six weeks he was off, they could do without it. And that was the reason for the redundancy, because it was redundancy at the end. Then it would have been disability discrimination under, under it could have been direct or, or under Section 15. But the business argued successfully that it was a genuine redundancy because it needed to save money. He needed to save about 40 grand a year, which is Mr Charlesworth's salary. And prior to him going off, ill there was a meeting with the site manager and the director owner of the business where this conversation took place so the tribunal sort of decided it, it wasn't an unfair dismissal because the redundancy process was handled properly it wasn't direct discrimination and it wasn't a section 15 indirect because they accepted the evidence of the business that it were the the reason for the redundancy was to save money and not because they could do without him. They realised that they, they could do without that particular post because he'd been off six weeks. At the at the EAT, which it, is the Employment which Appeals Tribunal. Employment, thank you. <laughs> the um, the argument, Mr. McNerney, obviously was was saying that it should have been a Section Fifteen because you know he was obviously. Had cancer, came under under disability, and that was really the reason why 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 it was made redundant, even if it was part part of a genuine re restructuring. He he, he argued that that uh, that had been the case, but the judge didn't didn't agree with him, um, thankfully, and agreed that again without being too technical, the the real reason, even even though they've been off six weeks with 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 having his kids removed because of cancer, was a factor, and it was. Maybe the, it might have been the, the major factor. The other 
factors in in terms of why the decision was taken to make, make him redundant was a genuinely business reason and nothing to do with his disability. And basically, the evidence turned on on the, what what she said was what was in the employer's head at the time, and in the employer's head at the time was to save the forty grand, and and irrespective of whether he'd been off ill or not, that position was surplus to requirements, and 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 the business could could evidence that. But as it, as it may interrupt, as anyone listening to this will appreciate, it is hugely complicated. It is hugely complicated, and. I was of the view that the claimant's case was highly likely to be successful. Clearly with, I suppose, guidance from yourself, Ashley, and maybe uh, sisters involved as well, that the respondent employer um, walked away without any tribunal award against them. And it just shows, I suppose, the importance of great advice, but also how complicated it is for not only like employers, employees, but also the lawyers and the HR advisors. Yes, very much so. I mean... um Section 15, which is in the indirect discrimination, didn't wasn't an issue until the first tribunal, to the very beginning of the tribunal, when the judge decided that it, it, it was a potential runner. In the original claim, it wasn't. It wasn't. The, the, the claim was for uh, direct discrimination and unfair dismissal. And on reading it, it's the judge who said, "Well, there potentially could be a section 15 uh, indirect discrimination." So it was the judge of the original tribunal who opened it up to section 15 and that's obviously when from the employer's side we thought mm, this could be tricky because it is a very very complex yes. piece of, of, of law and evidence of that that it actually went to in the, the appeals tribunal and I know they were considering appealing the appeals tribunal to, it didn't get accepted at a, at a higher level Got it. and how does it feel to have helped create some of the British case law? It was first time ever when he came and, and he, and he and I thought that's my case. It was, it, it, it was great. So yeah. So I emailed everybody who who, who would listen to me. I bet you did. Because <laughs> I've never had that before. Yeah, I, I can sense that, and it I suppose proves that you know lawyers and HR people can even disagree on you know a case, and that how the lawyers think perhaps a judge will go one way, and ah. they, they in fact goes another. And how unpredictable, therefore, litigation can be. Yeah, I mean, that was very unpredictable. Um, what we thought was a was a pretty solid case when we went to tribunal suddenly became, a, you know, unpredictable when the sec- when you know, the indirect discrimination was was brought in by a tribunal judge. So, yes, I agree. I bet. Now, I understand in the past you've worked with or against perhaps trade unions. Do you have any advice for employers who have a unionised or partially unionised workforce? What, what should they do? Should they be you know, beating the union around their head with a stick or should they be um, kowtowing to everything that the union asks for? Neither. My experience with me is, or any advice to a business who've got trade unions involved uh, there is don't be scared of them. They, you know, they, they can make things a little bit more protracted. You have to go certain things. And again, it's about keeping those communication channels open. There's two. There's often the, there's the set piece rituals. If you so, if you're doing the wage bargaining, you know you've you've you know they make a claim of a ridiculous amount, and the employer comes in with a uh, a counter offer of equally ridiculously low amount, and and you know through 
much discussion they get they get to a figure i've had experience of that i've had experience of where the actual agreement figure is done behind closed doors and then there's the the the, the actual negotiation is is a piece of theater basically so you know lots of shouting and jumping up and down till but we both know what figure we're going to get to at the end of the day so basically you're 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 performing for the full-time official he's performing for his shop stewards and, and likewise for, for for the management team when it came to some of the more difficult reorganisations, experience just tells me that, that as much as you possibly can is, is to have that discussion with the trade union. It is very, very hard to impose. And when you do start getting heavy-handed and imposing things, then, then that's, when you're gonna get, that's when you're gonna get people's backs up. That's, and it's not just at the time of that particular reorganisation. Once things settle down, people have very, very long memories and when you try and do something again, it might be two or three years later, they will hark back to how what happened before. All the mistakes that you've made will be brought up. If you had an aggressive attitude, then it, you know, the resentment will, will, will still be there. So it can be difficult. I remember at, at Barrett Steel at the recession, uh, the last you know, a big turndown, we worked really hard to keep as many people as we could. But obviously we had to lose people, certainly in the Bradford warehouse, which was, which was unionised. And the trade union came in and we went through exactly how we were going to select people. They told their members, just get on with it. They're doing things properly. You're going to have to suck it up, basically, which they didn't like. But that's the, the union was, was telling them. Later on, the managing director wanted to reduce the terms and conditions, particularly of the drivers. So we had to have another difficult conversation where we said, look, we want to basically pay you less money. In never goes down very well. Which never goes down very well. But because historically we'd handled things properly, we were able to have at least a discussion. We, we, we never really got to an agreement because there's no trade union who was going to accept a permanent cut in wages. They'd already accepted a temporary one, which had been restored, but a permanent change in the terms and conditions which would make them worse off. You know, trading ain't, they just, they're just not going to do that. So we actually went through the dismissal and, and re-engage on new terms, which is, again, the last resort. Yes. Because they were never going to agree to it. And there was a lot of huffing and puffing and... ACAS got involved and said, look, we, we, we have to do it for these reasons and we've, done, we've explored every other option and everybody signed up. But I think had we not had a good relationship before, it could have gone a different way and sure. you know, we could have had walkouts and God knows what. Ashley, thank you very much. Your words today are words of wisdom. They are sage. I hope people listen. I hope employers take action. Most of the things that you're saying are really quite basic, but I really don't think many employers are doing it. It's very sad and therefore, as you say, perhaps causes much more resentment in the workplace and therefore lower productivity and nobody's happy in such a situation. Um, how can listeners to this podcast find out more about you? Um, they can go onto my website, which is www.healyresourcing.co.uk or, uh, which is probably the best way and all my contact details are actually on, on the website super thank you very much Ashley um, very good for your time cheers thank you Andrew